0: Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. We trust that you had a wonderful 4th of July holiday. Some of you may still be away, but uh, wherever you are, hopefully uh, you'll have a little time this week to download our podcast and stay abreast of the information. With me today, Layla Mutin, who's our nutritionist. Layla, how are you doing?
1: Okay, Dr. Hoffman, happy... American Independence Day or week. You know, this is a big vacation week for a lot of people.
0: Indeed. Well, it is It is for me, but uh, I so much enjoy doing these uh, Q&A with Layla podcasts that I'm taking a little time from my vacation to spend some time answering questions so we don't get behind. So, uh, in fact, I'm on vacation. I took a beautiful 20-mile bike ride on uh, Dune Road here by the water uh, so oh, lovely! The, I mean, I think I think this I could get used to this style of working. You know, get up, yes. take a long bike ride, uh, come back, shower down. You know, have a protein shake and yeah, start doing Do podcasts. A podcast, yeah, write an article. <laughs> write an article. Yeah. Yeah. Read read, read some journals. Yeah, I could get used. To, I could get used to this.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: How about That's yourself? Nice Was there a lot Absolutely. of fireworks where you are? You, you're also uh, out in Long Island, correct?
1: No, actually, I I'm in Queens so far. I'll be going out this weekend. Okay, I had things to tend to here in, mm. in New York, so uh, I'm here. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's been nice having Good. this time off.
0: A lot of fireworks in your neighborhood out there?
1: Oh my goodness, yeah, yeah. I could actually walk over to one of the avenues near my home yeah. and see some of the East River fireworks. That was fun. Wow. I took some pictures.
0: Yeah. well,
1: So that was quite, that was lovely, actually.
0: We actually had had an adventure uh, because I have a house uh, here on, on the beach. And so, you know, to celebrate the 4th of July, we're going to watch the fireworks from afar, you know, miles away on the horizon. Yes. And instead, uh, a group of guys... Uh, brought a bunch of crates onto the beach to the house adjacent to us, and uh, I, I said to you know my family gathered there. I said, I think they're going to set off some fireworks, and boy did they set off some fireworks! Oh my <laughs> goodness! It, my my entire deck was covered with ash, <gasps> and. Uh, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> And I, I mean, I have, I posted some amazing. I know you don't use uh, Facebook, but I posted some amazing pictures of what it was like. It, it you know the house was like illuminated with fireworks, and we wow. were in the mid. We it was, I you know is a little like uh, you know I don't want to make light of. The situation in Ukraine, but it was a little like being in, you know, <laughs> in Mariupol, yes. you know, the last days of Mariupol, with the with the wow. you know concussions and the, you know explosions. <laughs> anyway, so um, that was that was my Fourth of July. Uh, in the news, an interesting article in the Journal of the American—I'm sorry—the the, uh, the uh, uh, Nutrition Journal, the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. Uh, which is a commentary on a very interesting phenomenon, which is, you know, Americans are getting heavier and heavier. The statistics show that uh, more and more people, a higher percentage of people are overweight. I think it's 42% or 48%, something depends on, on the criteria. And then a higher percentage of people are overtly obese, which is an even higher amount of excess weight yes. uh, and it's progressive it's been happening uh in all age groups and all ethnicities especially over uh you know the years the past uh 50 years you know since uh 1960 or so um which i guess is 60 years uh and it, it correlates with the introduction of processed foods and our change in lifestyle and so the the assumption pretty much, uh, you you know, I think you'll agree, Layla, is that most people say that the reason is we're eating more and exercising less. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, in this article in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, they cite statistics that suggest that people are maybe eating less calories and they're mm-hmm. maybe exercising just a tad more on average, you know, ah. and, and it depends. You know, obviously, uh, there's a great deal of variation in the population. So... The article says, well, what's going on here? Because, you know, it's not a thermodynamic equation. Yes. And what they're saying is- It's not is, all
1: about the calories in, calories out. Exactly.
0: And yeah. and what they're saying is that the quality of food has changed. And the and they focused on the microbiome. And what they said, and this is a fantastic statistic, They it's hard to estimate, but a certain percentage of your caloric expenditure occurs in your gut and it ranges it, research suggests that it ranges from 7 to 22% of your caloric expenditure is in your gut and it depends on a healthy microbiome so actually you know uh, i i just did a 20 mile bike ride and the mm-hmm. the readout on my computer says that I expended like six hundred and fifty calories or something like that. Mm. But I could have just stayed home and, you know, maybe my microbiome would have burned off more calories. <laughs> <laughs> so by yeah. disrupting our microbiome, and they didn't even mention this, you know, the they, they mentioned the foods, the food quality, um, but they don't even mention the fact that so many more people are taking antibiotics. Uh, There's ingredients in food. Which causes
1: overweight. That's how they fatten up those confined factory farmed animals. Exactly. By feeding them antibiotics. Yes. 60% of the use of antibiotics in America is factory farmed animals.
0: Yep. Yep, absolutely.
1: yes, more and more people taking antibiotics for, you know, even a little something that they shouldn't even be taking an antibiotic for. Right. Yeah. It causes weight gain.
0: Right. Mm. So so and then, you know, all the other factors that may negatively impact the microbiomes, you know, the emulsifiers, the food additives. So one thing that they didn't mention in this article, and I'm kind of surprised, is the role of obesogens, environmental chemicals, that we either take in with food, water, or in even in the air we breathe. And, you know, we know that that's an important factor. So it, it was an interesting uh, uh, deep dive on what seems like a paradoxical situation. We, we don't, we're not necessarily eating more, but the quality of the food has declined. Yes. And the environment has deteriorated. And we take well, too many medications. I mean, also. Yeah, we take
1: too many medications. And I also wonder, Dr. Hoffman, with, with the movement towards a more plant-based diet.
0: Mm -hmm. aka
1: vegan diet people are eating more carbohydrates yes i'm wondering i'm wondering if that study takes into effect the impact of the hormones the insulin right the maybe the lack of glucagon because when there were that when we have that many carbohydrates in our diet insulin is on stage all day long
0: so layla should we write a letter to the editor of the american journal of clinical nutrition and point some of these things out and yes and uh you know the yeah. other thing that I, I would point out is that so many more people, since 1960, uh, are on antidepressants. Their yeah. use is virtually ubiquitous, and even in children. So I think we're seeing more and more of that, and that clearly has. I mean, we have trouble sometimes with our patients who are on antidepressants uh, yes. with appetite. It's very hard for them to restrain their appetites.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And they and they gain weight on antidepressants. So so there are a lot of factors involved. But anyway, that was interesting, and I talked about it on the weekend show, and I wanted to share that with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, good article. Good article. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's get to questions. And oh, yeah, we haven't even mentioned this. We got mm-hmm. so many questions. We're 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 getting uh, kind of cocky about it. <laughs> questions at drhoffman.net is the destination for questions. And so keep them coming. And we have a full mailbag. And we promise to get to as many questions as we can today. So here we go.
1: Okay, we've got an email from Anne. Dear Dr. Hoffman and Layla, in a previous discussion, Layla said that olive leaf extract can be used for bone support. My questions are, what role does it have in bone support? And does it have the same functions as extra virgin? olive oil? Can I stay on it forever? If it also functions as, as an antibiotic, will I build up resistance to it? What a great question. But you know, Dr. Hoffman, I have to confess, Yeah. I don't recall ever talking about olive leaf extract for bone support. Now, and I talk about so many things. I, you may be right, and I just don't remember. <laughs> That's yeah. possible.
0: But I, I think I, I usually you know, parenthetically throw that in. And they don't know exactly why it is that olive leaf helps with bone. Yeah. But we know that olive leaf is a potent antioxidant and anti-inflammatory. And we yes. know that to some extent, osteoporosis is an inflammatory process. For True. example, patients who have a lot of inflammation like rheumatoid arthritis, uh, they are much more prone to osteoporosis and bone damage. Mm. So uh, the the supplement in question is called olive B-O-N-O-L-I-V-E. And it's a natural ingredient based on olive polyphenols. And it's there is research that proves that it addresses postmenopausal concerns, such as bone loss, joint discomfort, and uh, certainly has a cardiovascular benefit. Yes, so, it
1: helps with blood pressure. And it can also help with maintaining blood sugar levels.
0: Right. In the normal range. Yeah, so uh you can go to to find out about olive polyphenol's impact on bone, go to bon olive. And I, I I'm not sure that they have cornered the market on the secret sauce within olives that is the bone specific nutrient or polyphenol. Uh is
1: it the oleuropein?
0: Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know which. Yeah, you know, it's patent protected, so there may be some lack mm-hmm. of disclosure of precisely what fraction of the uh, olive that is. But you know, certainly you can drive some of the benefits, maybe in a less concentrated form, by taking lots of uh, extra virgin uh, olive, olive oil. oil, artisanal olive oil. That's not. Yeah damaged by processing. Uh, so let you just cite, it's kind of interesting. They mentioned, um, they did a study, they found a 32% increase in osteocalcin levels. And osteocalcin is actually a target in uh, some of the medication that's used for osteoporosis. But
1: bisphosphonates like Fosamax. Not so and much
0: and bisphosphonates. There's, there's some injectable um, uh, mm-hmm. medications. So Prolia, uh, Reclass. Uh, Forteo. 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 Yeah. So they also say the DEXA scan showed that subjects taking Bon Olive displayed protection of bone mineral density at the lumbar spine and a higher gain of bone mineral density at the femoral neck compared to those taking a placebo. And then there are additional benefits in terms of joints uh, and uh, blood lipid profiles. So Yeah, look, I mean, every company is trying to uh, corner the market on some unique uh, fraction of a botanical. Yes. And so this, I believe it's Spanish research, Mm. logically enough, because it's a Mediterranean country. But Mm. yeah, I learned of this uh, a few years back, maybe three, four years back. And so that could be an accoutrement to a program for... Bone preservation or bone restoration.
1: Yeah. Anna's also asking if it also functions as an antibiotic, because we yeah. also like olive leaf extract during cold and flu season. She's asking, will I build up a resistance to it? Dr. Hoppin, you and I have gotten this question in the past before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. In other words, would you stop using oregano in your cooking? Because oregano is also a very potent antibiotic. Yeah. And
0: and the way to explain it is that antibiotics have a laser-like effect on one particular aspect of bacterial metabolism. And therefore, it's fairly easy for the bacteria to evolve resistance to the antibiotic. But these botanicals, they have a multiplicity of suppressive effects on bacteria so that it would be very hard for the bacteria to develop uh, mutations that help it overcome, you know, 15 or 20 different modes of action. So there's a, ge- it's not, they're not as powerful as antibiotics. They're milder, which is to the good because if they were very powerful, then they would kill off all your beneficial bacteria.
1: Yes, then we'd be so, in big trouble. Yeah.
0: So they're milder, but it's less likely that. You will get antibiotic resistance to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good question. And
1: yes, thank you for this very very thoughtful question.
0: Can I just interject at this point uh, that uh, we have a premium offer? Uh, well, it's free, <laughs> so take advantage of it. It's the Intelligent Medicine Special Report. You know, during COVID, uh, you know we were sidelined, and uh, I did a lot of thinking, and I did a lot of interviews, and I did a lot of reading. And uh, the sum total of that is in a special report that I prepared called Immunity Reset, a personalized plan to pandemic-proof your body and build resilience for a long, healthy life. And uh, even a year or two ago, I said, you know, it's not enough just to talk about, um, you know, Operation Warp Speed and to talk about these new drugs that are antivirals um, mm-hmm. because th- they won't offer complete protection, no I just predicted that, uh, you know, like the flu vaccine and like uh, antiviral medications for the flu, they're partially effective, but they're not completely effective. And the main reason that people succumb to COVID is because of the terrain, you know, their, yes. their underlying physiology that is undermined by poor diet, lack of exercise. I mean, we know that there's so many factors involved. So, uh, get that special report, uh, You can subscribe to the Intelligent Medicine Newsletter, if you haven't yet already, at drhoffman.com. And new subscribers, of course, will receive a link to download this vital report. And if you're already an Intelligent Medicine Newsletter subscriber, you probably already received uh, an email link for a special edition of the newsletter with the report Immunity Reset. Check it out.
1: Yes, check it out, everyone. Okay. We've got a a question from Danny about organic expeller-pressed canola oil. Is this bad? Since I keep running into conflicting information, it's time to call upon the experts. Now, here's the thing. Organic expeller-pressed oils in general are better than the usual way of processing oils. Mm -hmm. However, the fact is canola oil While it does have the benefit of a small amount of omega-3 fatty acids, which are beneficial and anti-inflammatory, it does have more of the Mm -hmm. pro-inflammatory omega-6 fatty acids, which is not desirable. So it doesn't matter, in my opinion, that it's organic expeller pressed. It's still the fact that it's canola oil
0: Mm
1: -hmm. that is problematic.
0: And contrast it also with olive oil because olive oil is not just the monounsaturated fat, unless it's highly refined olive oil where there's basically they've purified it and taken the taste away from it. And the taste is the signature of all the beneficial polyphenols that we're talking about yes. before that, you know, help bone. Uh, but canola oil is really just a, a fat with no additional value. And where, where it hits me is, uh, I am always looking for, a mayonnaise because I love mayonnaise mm. and so the conventional mayonnaise like Hellman's you know mayonnaise which tastes great but it's made with soy oil as same thing That's- it's a mega-6 oil you're putting a lot of mega-6 oil in your body it's highly refined so there's no additional benefits uh, and then you go to canola canola is supposedly more virtuous because indeed it does have some more monounsaturated fats and maybe a tiny bit of omega-3 but uh you know, I I just it, you're putting a lot of that in your body, you know, because the <laughs> the mayonnaise is kind of a Trojan horse for putting a lot of omega six in your body. So, yes. uh, I, I lately I've been there are some the, the one that I like is actually made with coconut oil. Now you may say, well, why don't I don't want a coconut flavored mayonnaise?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: well, there's there's coconut oil that's deodorized. Okay, yes. it can be deodorized. Now that is processed.
1: But it is. It's,
0: it's I think rebound. it's a prefer, it's a yeah. preferable fat mm-hmm. to uh, the um, uh, canola oil, or certainly soy oil. And then there's, yeah. of course, safflower mayonnaise, and there's avocado oil mayonnaise. Yeah. But I just well, find, I don't like the taste of that much of the avocado mayonnaise. I couldn't really Oh, uh, well, what about it.
1: the flax oil? So- Do you like the flax oil mayonnaise?
0: Flax oil? Yeah. No. I, I didn't,
1: matter- yeah, this flax oil mayonnaise. Oh, seriously? But, you know... Safflower oil is also very high in omega-6, so that's that, that wouldn't be desirable either. But you're not liking the avocado oil mayonnaise. That's interesting, Dr. Hoffman. Yeah. You like mayonnaise the way my husband, Paul, does. Yeah. And he you don't like you the know. avocado oil mayonnaise either. So there's always two jars of mayonnaise in the fridge.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. There has to be, because if there's only like a half, it's an emergency. But, right. But, uh, you know, for like, uh, you know, uh, grilled potatoes or even meats. Uh, mm. I like the mayonnaise, you know, I like to, you know. And the French, they they eat the French fries with mayo and the Belgians especially. Yes. That ketchup yes. is like an anathema to them, you know.
1: Exactly. Yeah. They use mayonnaise and, and and other things. And just like the Brits, they use malt vinegar, right? It's that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Eggs, mayonnaise is a popular uh, appetizer. Or something, and mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, that's interesting about the mayonnaise. Dr. Hoffman, had you considered making your own mayonnaise?
0: Yeah, uh, that's a little—that's a bridge too far. But you know, I guess that's the best way to do it, right?
1: Yeah, but How it's, you done it? that what, it's what not you do What last. oil do you use? Yeah, well, he, well, you would use a good. Do you like olive oil-based mayonnaise? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, but it's it, olive oil is too strong a taste, in my opinion, for mayonnaise. Gotcha. It, it overwhelms the mayonnaise. Gotcha. Yeah. All right.
1: Okay, no, that answers that. And when you do make a homemade mayonnaise, you have to we all have to realize that it doesn't last forever in the fridge like your jar with an expiration date. Right. And, you know, we're talking about two to three days of use, and that's it, you're done. Yeah. And to really source your organic eggs very well. Mm-hmm. and um, You like have to that.
0: separate the eggs too. That's like a yes. little tricky, right? Because you're using the egg white, and you whip it right. and that whole thing, right? Yeah. 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 I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, uh, I, I've, I've done it, but, yeah. I'm not sure if it's, um, there's enough payoff, yeah, for the effort involved. Do you ball. like,
1: do you like hollandaise sauce as well? I love hollandaise yes. sauce. Yes. Hollandaise is absolutely wonderful on grilled asparagus. hmm. And, oh, gee, you can put hollandaise on pr- practically anything. It's like dipping things into, a nice runny egg yolk.
0: Right. Well, there's, and then in, in France, there's this sauce bernese, which Bernaise is like this sauce. creamy sauce that's yes. like a meat sauce. It's very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Good stuff, French cooking.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I just, just enjoyed some last month. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's see if we have enough t- Let's do another question for this segment, and then we'll yes. go to our next segment.
1: Yeah. This is from Amanda. Dear Dr. Hoffman, I've been an avid listener for the past few years and I've learned so many interesting facts about health and nutrition from you and Layla. I have a question on behalf of my hear. husband. Yeah, thank you, Amanda. I have a question on behalf of my husband. He's a 47-year-old male who's developed liver spots and skin discoloration on the inside of his right forearm and biceps. Hmm. Should we be concerned about his liver function?
0: Hmm. Well, you know, there's the 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 term liver spots uh actually more refers to the color and appearance of the spots than the fact that they relate to liver. Yeah. So, uh what they are are deposits of lipofuscin and these are products of uh you know, they may reflect some degree of uh oxidative damage, free radicals that mm-hmm. have cannot be completely overcome or cleaned up by the body's uh, antioxidant systems, but they also are ubiquitous feature of aging in lighter skinned individuals. Yeah. One, of, one of the virtues of you know being very dark skinned is you're less likely to have those types of skin discolorations. You have other skin discolorations, but uh, less likely to have that. The mm-hmm. what uh, uh, Caucasians and lighter skinned uh, Asian individuals have.
1: Amanda is also asking, this may or may not be relative, relevant, but he does suffer from gout, which he controls oh. with allopurinol and quercetin. Mm-hmm. Is that impacting on his skin?
0: Yeah. Well, gout is usually, I mean, if, if let's talk about Dr. Perlmutter's book, Drop Acid. Uh, which I would recommend to her and any gout sufferer, and it usually occurs in the setting of carbohydrate intolerance. That's the new thing on gout, as opposed to too much in the way of uh, meat. Sure means. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that meat doesn't play a role in it, but uh, it. Mm-hmm. Many people have gout as a result of excess fructose, which is pro-inflammatory, and yeah. you know, can, and can damage the liver. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that. This is indicative of liver problems, but um, when people have gout, they often have fatty liver at the same time.
1: Yes. Interesting. Interesting. Amanda, so there you go.
0: All right. You know, it's interesting. Uric acid may be a mechanism by which the body uh, combats free radicals. So it it may be an effort for the body to, because uric acid is an antioxidant and it may be an adaptation to excess carbohydrates or excess food that drive uh, uh, free radical formation and inflammation, that the body overgenerates uric acid. That's so so interesting. Yeah, that is is beautifully laid out in Dr. Perlmutter's book that I recommend, Drop Acid.
1: Okay. Thank you, Amanda. Best of luck to your husband. So, a good okay. point at
0: which to uh, flip over to side two, part two of today's Intelligent Medicine podcast. And what can we anticipate? Give us a tease to mm. what we we're going to address in part two, Layla.
1: Where have, I'm taking warfarin, otherwise known as Coumadin, for my atrial fibrillation. I'd like to start using chaiolic-aged garlic. Would
0: that be too much? Okay, good question. Questions at drhoffman.net, the destination for questions. And as you can see, we're active even during a holiday week. So uh, enjoy part two when we resume. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman today with Layla Mutin. It's our weekly Q&A with Layla, and we'll be right back.